Hi, I'm Mara Webster within Creative Company, and I'm so excited today to be talking about HBO Max's Peacemaker. We are joined by some incredible artisans from behind the scenes who really made the, the visual offering that this show has become. We are joined today by Betsy Patterson, who is the VFX supervisor, along with Guy Williams, who's the VFX su supervisor from Weta FX, Shay Cunliffe, who is the costume designer for the series, Lisa Soper, who's the production designer, Carissa Lee Barton, who is the opening titles choreographer, and Wayne Dalglish, who is the stunt coordinator for the show. And, and Betsy and Guy, I wanted to start with, with a question for the two of you because the visual effects in this show are so incredibly intricately detailed in so many ways. But one of the things that I love about visual effects as well is there's moments where it's invisible to the naked eye and we don't necessarily know as an audience that there's so much of your work going into a moment that we're looking at. And in that collaboration and working with, with James Gunn and having early conversations about, you know, where effects were going to be really important to telling the story, where you're creating elements that wouldn't exist without effects, um, what that also looked like in terms for both of you of finding the places where visual effects was going to be a really key component for scenes where maybe, you know, it wouldn't be as noticeable, but would really enhance a particular moment. So I was interested in what those more invisible elements of visual effects were from both of you. Uh, well, there were quite a few, really. I mean, the, the, the show was originally pitched to me as a, not really a, a lot of visual effects. Um, the producers and James kind of said, well, you know, it's not as big as shows you usually do. And, you know, of course, it turned out to be even bigger than a lot of shows that I've done. Um, but yeah, we did have a lot of invisible effects. A lot of it was working with Wayne and Lisa to, to kind of find those places where, you know, something is really 90% practical, but just to push it much over the edge, uh, there would be transition into visual effects. Uh, so yeah, the, the three of us actually worked quite closely together, figuring some of those things out. I love that. And for you guys, what were, what were some of those spaces or moments on, on the letter side? Um, <clears throat> for us, it was, it was kind of a little bit the opposite side of the story. We, we ended up doing uh, things that, I mean, hopefully people don't know that Eagly is not a real eagle, but uh, you know, the, we, we did a lot of the work on Eagly. We, uh, I don't think anybody is going to think that the caterpillar cow was an invisible effect. It's, you know, so <clears throat> a lot of our work, uh, it, it, unfortunately, in this, in this regard was, was kind of obvious. I, we'll come back to talking about Eagly a little bit later because I want to make sure that we get to dive into that amazing effect. Um, and coming over to you, Shay, in terms of the costumes, it, it's such an such an interesting approach because obviously you have Peacemaker, who's an established character within the franchise, but then you're also building so many other characters and costumes from the ground up. And so I was interested in, in kind of like both how the Peacemaker costume really influenced the creation of a lot of other costumes, but also as you were going through that initial design stage and creating those initial sketches um you know it's such a discovery process as, as as well of like looking at different potential designs different fabrics different colors different silhouettes what were some of the spaces where um you kind of really continued to evolve and finesse certain details in some of the costumes and and found something a little bit different from where you'd started this was an interesting experience for me both in terms of inheriting the the great peacemaker costume from from judy alimakovsky's work but a, I started with only two weeks, uh, two months to prep the series. And they had already spoken to the wonderful uh, film 
film illusions, Russ Schinkel, who makes many fabulous superhero costumes. I'd already spoken to him a month before I met with them about concept ideas because they realized that it should have been started yesterday. It was already late in getting going. So when I started the job, I inherited the first uh, chapter had been done by Film Illusions with their in-house illustrators. And that was actually great and very helpful. I, I didn't resent it at all because I could never have gotten it done in that time framework. And it just allowed me to sort of step in as um, with just a design eye and, and tweak what they had already begun. They had had some very preliminary meetings about the direction. So the road was already laid. And I just sort of tweaked the design elements, uh, the colors of some of the things. And, uh, and, and it was great. It was a true collaboration on every level. I found that even by the time I started, Lisa had already done a ton of research. And I was just like, I'm just going to jump on your coattails here myself. I always appreciate it being teamwork. In my opinion, the whole thing is good teamwork, every project. But um, in this instance, I really had a costume team um, that were more significant than usual on a project. Um, so I, I don't want to grab all the credit for those costumes. I think Russ Schinkel and Film Illusions like brought something incredible to the table by the time I jumped in. And for the everyday costumes, that was just a, a, an interesting balance because uh, James discussed the project to me in terms of magical realism, of a very everyday world, very everyday people, and then these strange, magically realistic characters who's, who've got um, an inflated conception of themselves. And it was how to do the ordinary and the extraordinary was actually the design challenge for me and not have it be totally boring, but boring enough that you understood where we've got reality, we're, we're blending it so that they don't stand out in a weird way. So, I, and I think Lisa probably had an aspect of that dilemma too with, with some things were way out there, other things had to be grounded in Northwest small town America. So to, to me, that was an interesting part of it all. Absolutely. And, you know, to that point, Lisa, you know, with, with Shay's description of having to balance the extraordinary and the ordinary, that's so much the case with a lot of the production design that we see in the show and, and you're creating spaces that are very pristine and very high end, but then there's also spaces where you're really distressing what you're doing. You're maybe not putting that second coat of paint on, um, you know, I've heard stories about, you know, hitting, hitting things with hammers after you've built them, throwing coffee on walls. What were some of the areas where you actually almost wanted to kind of like not do, not create those final touches or distress something a little bit? Where I did not want to do that? Where, <laughs> where, where you wanted to kind of like distress it or just kind of like not have it as pristine? Uh, oh God, everything. Um, <laughs> I, uh, the, the, the set that, I, that drove me crazy the most was actually the, um, the hotel that, the, that they stayed at. Um, because I, in, in my mind, it was, oh, you know, it's that gross carpet, it's the wood panel wall, it's, it's all of those wonderful, horrible um, hotel rooms or motel rooms, extended stays that we've seen in every film that we all love, um, because they look, they, they have all this character. And um, James says, no, it's not real. And he said, I want, I want to suck, suck your soul out. And I was like, no, why, why would you do this? And uh, I didn't get it at first, 
And, you know, he talked about bowls of balls, which I, I despise more than anything. because it's just, why would someone put a bowl of balls on their table? Makes no sense. Um, but we had that, you know, vases of sticks and beige taupe colors and nondescript artwork that has no feeling in it whatsoever. Um, and I remember when we finished it, I looked at it and it did, it felt very real. Um, uh, eerily so and you know we turned in two sets at the same time that day one was the quantum and folding storage chamber uh and one was the the hotel and uh the the difference of reaction between the two spaces was probably the opposite of what i expected until i got it um and that's when i fell in love with it again um so that was one where i thought you know at, at first i wanted to go really heavy with everything, with this texture and, and all the same way that we're doing with so many other set pieces. Um, but what's beautiful is that there's this juxtaposition that that's set up. There's a reality, there's a grounded nature. You believe that these characters could stay in these hotels because we've all been in them um, and they are real. We Most people nowadays haven't actually been in the ones that are depicted in film as those anymore. Um, and I think that's the type of attention to detail and a really good example. I know it's not as not as exciting as some of the other set pieces that we've done, but for me, it, it very much is because it's that, it's that moment where you realize you can make something feel more real than the unreal story we're trying to tell. Yeah, I mean, I, I love those sorts of elements throughout all the different facets of the show because that's what really makes it connect and work like you were just saying. And, and Carissa, coming over to talking about the, the choreography of the opening title sequence, you know, obviously, you know, people absolutely like fell in love with it, really connected to it. It's such a great introduction to character. And I was interested in, in the initial kind of conceptualization of, of how you wanted to choreograph that because when you step back, it's, it's kind of rooted in very modern dance moves, but there's kind of different styles to that, even including, you know, an homage to old silent cinema as an era. And so I was really interested in how you kind of came up with the idea of what you wanted the main stylistic approach of the choreography to be, but also the different influences and styles that you wanted to bring into that um yeah i uh you know i'll echo what has been said a couple of times already which is uh the groundedness in this insane world um was something that was a really important part of 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 everything that i did i wanted to make sure that whatever movement it was um it felt really as as natural and as grounded as possible um, but it really was uh, a, a process. Um, I had, you know, various different influences that I, I knew I wanted to, to draw from. Um, but in the, when it really began to click for me as I was generating material in the living room that I'm sitting in right now <laughs> and set up a camera in, in front of myself just to, to, you know, to improv for an hour or two and then pull the, the things that I liked. When it started to click is when I, um, I started to, to feel that the movement really resonated in the context of the show and of the scripts, which I had read, um, that it really resonated with the music, with this, the song. Um, and I'm, I, I'm very tuned into the musicality of a, of a song, of a piece. Um, and so I really wanted to make sure also that there were uh, choreographic layers within the musicality of it. And uh, so it, it began to click when I, I felt it kind of in my own body. And then from there had to determine 
what was might have been too much for actors who aren't trained dancers and when it was enough to be a challenge because I also uh, somewhat similar to what Shay was saying um, I didn't want it to be boring meaning I didn't want the movement to be too simple too easy um, but it also had to be attainable so I had to keep all of those things in mind and the complexity comes with with the, some of the musicality and some of the trickiness and the some of the coordination is quite tricky um but it it um it was a process over over a few weeks actually of uh exploring different um different movements and then uh in the a lot of the the transitions and the movement itself um evolved in the hq space so i started staging it choreographing and staging it in the headquarters and Lisa had such a clear, the design of that, of the headquarters was just so, there was so, it was so rich and there was so much there to tune into that it allowed me to get inside of the material in a way that I don't think I, I, I don't think I would have had the same access um, had we have just started on the stage, which is a completely different, you know, neon, shiny, bright, clean, all of that. Um, so working in, in HQ with the movement and finding a lot of detail there really, like I said, allowed me to get inside of, of the physical, physically inside of the, inside, inside of the show uh, in a way that I, I might not otherwise have had access to. So there were a lot of different things, uh, um, but speaking about uh, speaking on the movement and the choreography specifically, there were so many different influences, but ultimately came down to what felt, what just felt right in my own body and then began to look right on the actors and the dancers that I brought in to stand in for them. I love that. And especially that idea of, of creating something that that's challenging, but attainable, which brings me over to you, Wayne, in terms of all the stunt work on the show, because in working with, with all of the cast and working with the rest of your stunt team, obviously all of the cast come to the show with, with different levels of expertise and experience in terms of working within stunts. Um, and so I'm always really fascinated by that aspect of, you know, working with each actor individually, you know, to figure out what the movement of their character is going to be, you know, what, how would this particular character move in a way that maybe this character wouldn't, but also taking into account, you know, what each actor's experience was that they were bringing to the table. And so what did that collaborate collaboration with the cast look like for you? Um, well, it started with James and identifying what it is that he wanted for each character. Um, and we got pretty lucky uh, with our cast on this particular show because everyone was very physical and everyone was like super willing to train and be there and show up and put in the work. So um, it, it always makes our job much easier when, uh, when they're down to do that. So. I don't know, it was a pleasure overall. And um, yeah, like we always follow James's lead. Uh, I had a very good uh, fight coordinator and choreographer uh, who uh, lives in Vancouver right now, Alex Kiskovich. And he, um, I don't know, like the whole stunt team, we would all like basically throw in our ideas and um, send, reference passes to James and then we talk about it and then we kind of like dial dial it in from there and he James was really good about giving us like reference uh reference movement to watch uh specific like films that he wanted us to follow so um 
I don't know. It, it was, it was nice having like a lot of very specific direction from him. So it, I don't know. It, it was cool. Yeah. No, I, I really love that. What, what were some of the specific films or, or references that he was sharing with you that were kind of like inspirational in terms of figuring out what some of the movement or styles for scenes of the show were going to be? Um, there was some Korean films he had me watch when uh, I first signed on to the show. Um, and just to like, I don't know, take as inspiration. And then we would basically shoot previses for him. And then from there, um, yeah, I, I don't know. That's basically how we did it. Yeah, no, that's amazing. I, I love those details. And and coming back to you, Guy, because obviously you were you were bringing up uh, one of everybody's favorite characters, Eagly, in the show. And I loved that behind-the-scenes VFX video that that James posted on, on social media and kind of shared that showed a lot of what went into creating some of the facets. And with Eagly, you really get to see that it, it really does start with, you know, building the visual effect of the skeleton, building it layer by layer, texture by texture. And so I was just really interested in, in what that looked like behind the scenes, both when you were creating Eagly as a character and creating each of those layers and textures. And then from there, finding the movement of Eagly as a character for the show so that the audience could really be drawn in and connect to it. Um, no, totally. Uh, there's been some uh, fantastic points brought up, like one of the, something that Lisa said that resonates really well with me is just that you know James is when he's making these kind of movies he's coming up with this this beautiful sort of dichotomy of, of contrasting ideas all the time like uh, you know he 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 constantly is telling us that Eagley has to be this rich character this interesting character and you know that he's he's going to be a co-star in the film even um, but at the same time he's like but it has to be a real bird it has to be a real bird it has to be a real bird you know so it's 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 finding yeah, there's there's two challenges. One is just making a real uh, uh, feathered eagle, which is not not the easiest thing technologically. But the other is is trying to to mine that character and, and come up with with you know how you're going to portray an eagle, but only use the uh, uh, expression set that's provided by a real bird. So you know um, there's a lot of back and forth trying to figure out. You know, there's times where we blurred the lines just a little bit. We would find something close enough that an eagle could do so that it, it looked kind of right, but uh, you know, it might be based off of what a dog would do. Um, but, you know, the, the, of course, I'm speaking of the, the scene where Eagly has his head out the window and he's panting as the car is driving along the road. Um, but, uh, you know, it's the kind of thing that when you get right, you empathize with the character more because you believe it and you believe in it, but at the same time, it's telling an interesting story. Um, technologically, it's, it's just... Uh, yeah, feathers. We've been doing them for a long time in the industry. But the first uh, bird I ever did was Guahir on Lord of the Rings one. But uh, you know, um, the technology has come a long way since then. Back then, uh, we just we did the feathers as sort of painted shingles on the character. Now we actually we model all the not just the feathers, but the hairs coming off the feathers that create the feather, and then the hairs coming off the hairs, and then the hairs coming off the hairs that come off the hairs. So like uh, the the amount of detail we go into is, is pretty complex, but the thing that makes a bird so challenging is that all the feathers have to stay kind of smooth to the surface. Um, and if you don't get it right, then it just doesn't look like a real bird. Um, even when you get it right, you run into little problems like the fact that, uh, you know, we had a, uh, we got to the point where Eagly was starting to look like a real bird, but somebody at one point in a screening room, and Betsy probably can answer where this occurred, but somebody said, it looks a little bit like a seagull. <laughs> And at that point, you're like, oh, that's so not the character we're going for. So uh, uh, 
you know, once it was said, we all could see it. It's it's it, it's one of those things you point out something and everybody in the room is just like, oh god, it's a seagull. Uh, so you know, we found we you know you start mining the references of a real eagle. You start trying to figure out what separates an eagle from a seagull. It's not just that it has brown feathers versus white feathers, but uh, but you know what we came up with was that you know. Eagly, it's almost like the the eagle character from the Muppet Show. You know, he's always got this kind of you know self assured, confident, overly you know almost almost kind of aggressive uh, stance to himself all the time. You know, and uh, we started bringing that into the, the the design of the character, but also into the animation of the character. Um, you know, that helped us at least get rid of the seagull part of it. <laughs> That's amazing. You know, and and Betsy, to that point that Guy was just making about obviously how far video like VFX technology has come over recent years. Um, from, from your perspective, what were some of the things that you feel like you were able to achieve on this series that maybe even like two, three, five years ago, just technology wise, wouldn't have been possible to do at all or just in the way that you did them? Um, I, I think it's in general, not so much that we're, we were doing things that weren't possible, but I think we were doing them um, with a little bit more ease that could exist on a television schedule. I think I think that's kind of a new thing in the last couple of years is you can do feature level effects and, and Guy will attest, you know, we paid these shots the same amount of attention you would if it was in the biggest budget feature that James usually does. Um, but because it, it is a little bit easier to work with this stuff now and it's, you know, we've got, big render farms and, and many talented artists with 20 years experience to their belts. It just, you can pull it off in a way that you just wouldn't really attempt to do for television. I think if you, you know, five, six years ago, you probably wouldn't try to have a full CG character be one of your leads in the show, but now you can do it. It's still a lot of work and, you know, it's really the guys uh, that work with Guy uh, really, really pulled off some amazing stuff. Some of the animation just to this day is just my, my favorite things that we've ever worked on. Yeah, no, it's it's really incredible, the intricacy of it. And Carissa and Lisa, you know, Carissa, you were talking earlier about the, the opening sequence and how it was originally set to be filmed in HQ. And, and then James had the idea of moving it over into more of a stage space. Um, and with both of your involvements in that, in that sequence, I was interested in what that looked like in those few days that you had to pull it over because Lisa, I know for you and your team, that was a case of completely redesigning from scratch, thinking about the different potential visual aesthetics, putting together a lot of sketches for James, you know, and Carissa, you know, that's you kind of taking the idea of the choreography that you created for a very specific space and thinking about, you know, the way that movement's gonna potentially fit, live and breathe in a completely different environment, you know, with a different aesthetic. Um, and so what were some of the elements that were always there from the beginning? And then what were some of the, the shifts and changes that happened within the opening title sequence from that changeover to a stage? Uh, well, the, the song was the same. And the cast. <laughs> that was the God. same. Thank God. <laughs> uh, I think, it, you know, Chris will talk, talk more about the, the movements and everything like that. Um, I, I don't want to speak for her on that. But uh, it, was, it was kind of amazing. Like, it really, really was. Uh, like, I'll be honest, and... Uh, when I originally read it, uh, as much as I love the HQ, there was part of me that was like, oh no, this isn't, it wants to be a big music number with everybody together. But you know, we went with it and we did, we did what we did. Um, so I'd like to say I was surprised when I got the phone call. Uh, it was more so, oh yeah, it's how many days away? Okay, shit, let's go. <laughs> and uh, 
it was um, the the inspiration was very much just that that kooky wacky sensibility that that James has and trying to you know draw overnight. I think I had I, th I think it was somewhere around twenty some odd um, concepts that that came out <clears throat> between. Um, <clears throat> 20 odd concepts or so that came out between um, the end of the day and I think five or six o'clock in the morning when we sent out the, the uh, samples. And I think that one that, that we see, it was actually the last one that I did. And I threw it in as a bogey um, because everything else was trying to follow a certain type of a narrative. Like there's one where there were these like nukes uh, mounted on the back of Lamborghinis there was another one, you know, like with um, big trucks and tanks. There was wolves howling at two moons with lightning bolts that came into the set. Like anything you could possibly imagine with this character for an opening title credit sequence, it was there. And it just, it was, it was so much fun though. Like sitting there listening to the song and thinking of like, what about this? What about this? What about this? There were no limitations. Um, and that last one was something where I think it was, I felt like I was missing something else. So, because there was there was almost like a, a theme tonality that really fit everything else fit together, even though you know one had wolves howling at the moon and one had Lamborghinis with nukes. Um, there was still this kind of thing that I wanted to tap into that, that felt very very different, and I just put the song on and kind of just closed my eyes, and what I saw was, you know, these flashes of every '80s hair metal album cover that you know I grew up with, and there was it was the colors and the geometric lines and that kind of thing. And I just went, you know what, I'm gonna do this. Let's, you know, maybe he'll like it, maybe he won't. And he said, that's that's the one, which was the hardest one to build, uh, by the way, because it was all mirror work. <laughs> so thank you, uh, visual effects team for- uh, Yeah. <laughs> we, we actually didn't have to, we didn't have to clean up that much. It, well, most of good. it worked, there was, okay. there was very little cleanup. We were hopeful, yeah. we were really hopeful. Cause I was like, I dirty the mirrors just <laughs> enough and we angle them like this, hopefully this will work and yeah. Mm -hmm. And then, uh, and, and yeah. you know, what was, here's what I will say about it though. Um, uh, we had such little amount of time, like, and you'll hear this so much when anyone talks to us about Peacemaker, there wasn't a lot of time, you know, compared to, compared to doing a, a large feature, but it still had the same appetite. It still had the same amazing story. It still had the same amazing people. So to take all of these professionals and put them into a television timeline and still be able to have something that doesn't get compromised at all is incredible. And to see how everyone worked together, um, you know, every department that came in and was so calm and understanding. And it was like, okay, the paint is literally drying right now. Can we just move over here? Okay, we can right now we can get the camera equipment in, we'll get the lighting equipment over here. And it was a dance actually behind the scenes of the dance to try to get everything together. It truly was. Yeah, it was amazing to watch everyone pull together and and like you said, very calmly, just very calmly do what needed to be done. It was stressful. <laughs> it was it was in 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 terms uh, for for me, uh, I think well, the one of the first questions that I asked was is this material going to work on I know I can make, I, I performed on stages for over 20 years. I know stages very well, but does the quality of the movement and the material that I created in HQ on this stage and with this design, will it work? And I, I 
ultimately had to very quickly uh, embrace it. And, um, and it was actually pretty easy to do so because I thought the contrast here is really, is really cool. I think it'll, I think it'll resonate and work really well. This kind of grungy, grounded, crazy movement, funny movement um, on the stage, which I loved. I'm so happy that that's the one that, that James selected um, and that you came up with Lisa because it reminded me of my old solid gold. I was a huge solid gold fan and it's remind, it just took me right back to that time. And uh, uh, I, so when the, the decision was made to, to change to a stage, um, it happened to be on the same day, it was my first rehearsal with the actors. So the two weeks that led up to the shoot, where the stage was when the stage was being built happened to be the time that my schedule was fully booked teaching the actors material that was done. And so, and I knew that I couldn't teach them material and then change it on them because I, I uh, for non-dancers, for people who aren't trained dancers and learning choreography on a regular basis, once you learn something and get it into your muscle memory and get it into your body and getting feeling good in your body, you don't wanna change it. It's very hard to change. And so I didn't want to throw any last minute stuff at them, but it was, so it was really, it was very challenging to hold on to as much material as possible, but also I, I wound up having to change about half of it. Um, so I'd work with the actors during the day and then go home at night um, and do my best to, uh, to, well, I worked with my, my husband, I would, you know, wake him up at all hours and get him to do some stuff for me. And um, didn't, I didn't have full access to the stage until, uh, two days before the shoot. Um, and then even then it was still being built. So a lot of the, a lot of the transitions and the staging itself um, had to be done real fast. Once I got access to the stage, it was just making quick choices. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I, I had done uh, a lot of the, a lot of the work and it was as prepared as I possibly could be and very thorough up until that point. And thank God for that because um, it really was, there was very, very little time to pull it, to pull it together with the, the, the change, um, but it came together. It worked out really well. And, and a lot of that had to do with like everyone, just like you said, everyone pulling together and getting things, get, just getting done, getting the job done as best as possible and working with stunts actually to, um, to help with popping out of the, the hole in the floor, and a couple of other things slide. You would think that sliding across a stage, like the Peacemaker comes out halfway through, slides on is, is easy, it's not. It's actually really tricky. You, you need, you need to, to uh, make the floor slippery, but not too slippery. You have to be able to stop. So it's, it's very, very tricky anyway. These, this dance team really helped it with, with details like that. Um, so it, it, was a, it was a true team effort. I mean, it really, really came together. And and, yeah. and speaking, of, speaking of stunts again, Wayne, um, you know, there's so many, so many really great sequences throughout the show and so many great uses of space where you're really using every corner of a location. And, and the one scene that I wanted to ask you about is the moment where you have Peacemaker fighting in his tidy whities because I thought that was such a great scene. You've really used every single space to the point where you have him going out of the window. And I was just interested in, in what that looked like in coming up with that and working closely with Spencer Thomas, who's John's stunt double, working with John himself to really configure and choreograph a scene like that, which is so intricate and has so many moments to it. Um, I guess 
what we started with is, uh, I mean, after James kind of talked about the sequence, every like all the like story moments that happened within the fight uh, came out of James' brain. Like it's even written in the script that he's like grabbing things off the shelves and like throwing things. Um, so there was like a nice blueprint to follow. And then uh, I, we actually choreographed that scene in California before we went up to Vancouver and it was kind of like a, hey, check this out. Like, this is a cool vibe of something that we think that uh, you're hopefully uh, something that you're looking for. Um, so we do like stunt previs. Um, and like, that's where we basically film it on like in a stunt facility or warehouse and get wire gags in a stunt team like Spencer um, and then someone uh, to play the rocker chick in the, in like a box environment that we build. And then we like, so I, I think I called Lisa or Lisa called me and then we talked, like she'd send me blueprints and um, things like that of what the room actually looks like. She'd give me dimensions and information. So then we can kind of replicate that in our facility using um, boxes on like a spring floor. So then we can do like multiple takes, try different angles and, um, kind of like R&D and con concept the scene beforehand. Uh, and one thing I want to note about that, which is like really interesting is James already has a lot of his like music choices picked out beforehand. And it was a very like strange, but like fun song is a choir boy song. That's like really slow and like to like have that going like, so like we would turn on the music like when we're actually like shooting and doing the fight and it I don't know, it kind of like brought life to it right away. And we we're like, oh my God, this is like something to latch onto. Um, so, but I don't remember what your question was. I'm sorry. No, but, you, you, absolutely, you absolutely answered it and, and gave so many great details. I appreciate it. And then, you know, Shay, similar to how with, with production design, there's kind of elements and details that you want to distress a little bit. That also feels like that's part of the trajectory for some of the costumes, particularly Peacemakers. And I was interested in, in how you worked with costumes continuing throughout the series after you created them or built them um, and then looked at what is the journey this character is going through. And as a result, what's the journey this costume needs to go to to really reflect that? you know even down to the fact that with Peacemaker there's there's multiple versions of that costume throughout the entire series that you built constructed and and what are some of the the kind of ways and and tactics and methods that you would use to slightly distress or muddy up some of those costumes in that way a little bit well that that actually was the lion's share of the work for the costume department was all the action and and blood and gore that was going to happen and burns and gashes and each character had a, a different uh, materials in their costume and different reasons that they got so damaged everyone had a lot of multiples um, peacemaker alone had was in a unique situation that his costume was being fabricated for him in the in the magic quantum closet and so we knew we can explain why he isn't going to have to spend all eight episodes in that exact costume. So we would refresh, we'd decide the moment that it's too far gone and, and we'll start again. I had an amazing team of craftspeople and ages on this show. I, without them, I don't think we, we could have done the very plausible and excellent work that we did in that department. Um, we it, it was an exhausting process of of constantly um, 
showing James how far we'd gone and was it enough. It was just tons of text messages like, here's where we're at. Is this, are we there yet? No, you're not quite there yet. Um, James is extremely responsive and helpful, I found, um, throughout the process in every way of answering questions very concisely and very clear what, what we had to do. So it was literally just the work in our studio of, of going for it. Um, it was scary sometimes because these costumes are extremely time consuming and expensive to make. And so it's like, oh no, I, I, I can't look. You're gonna have to like destroy this and smash it, but I'm gonna come back in 20 minutes. I, I, I can't stand to, to see this. They were luckily very confident in my team. And um, so they're like, don't worry, we got this. Um, with something like Vigilante, who did not have multiple, I mean, he did have multiples because we had stunt people and a progress, but his character only had the one self costume that we felt he had put together himself. So that was a great relief because if we'd gone too far, we just patched it up ourselves as if we were Vigilante, as crude as possible. Um, the, um, and then the white dragon, the main challenge with him is knowing, well, actually this was a different challenge, which is he's going to be dressed into his superhero costume. You usually start and the character is all put together and it was kind of great to vest him like the king by his acolytes. But that was figuring out and, uh, and sharing with everyone what, what you can do with this, what are the phases of it. Uh, but I just want to, going back to the music and how important it was, one of the great things I think for all of us working on it is that James provided a playlist that he shared with every script, new script we got, um, which was a new experience for me and was incredibly helpful to be playing it and knowing exactly everything as, as he was per perceiving, thinking it as we prepped it at the same time. And just to revisit the opening credit sequence, because I think uh, it was unbelievable that Lisa was suddenly redesigning it. I think it was like two days before we shot it. I, I, we were all reeling and luckily Lisa always kept me in the loop. So uh, it was like, tell me, give me a, anything of where we're going on this. And I for a moment thought, oh gosh, I'm gonna have to redesign everything because the mandate had been make them very every day. I mean, different clothes, except for the superhero costumes, different clothes that we don't use in the, in the actual project, but same spirit of clothes. But then I'm like, oh my God, but it's going to be this glitzy glammy set now with lights and pink and purple everywhere. Surely I need to do a whole other level of dance costumes now. And I immediately am going to James, like, do you want something completely different? And he was like, no, 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 still, still the same, which it was really um, frightening to me. But then I realized this was his genius in putting this whole project together. It was exactly the same every day and magical. And that set and the characters in it, in the dance sequence, um, sort of, epitomizes that for me. I Yeah, I, I had fun working with you, Shay, on on um, some of the costume stuff with the opening sequence, like uh, finding moments to add little elements. Mm -hmm. uh, like when Chuck Woody opens his jacket toward the end, it was just a, that really a flash of color. And 
uh, and then and then some other, you know, are they going to be able to lift their arms in these costumes? Oh. And like the details, you know, there were details like that, but it was the, the colors and, and some of that stuff that was really fun to, to yes. explore. When I, when I saw uh, Lisa set um, rendition, I, that did, made me think I've got to, I, I've got to lift it a little bit. Okay, we're going to still keep them in or, themselves, they're ordinary characters, but I'm, wherever I can inject, I, I think Adebayo's girlfriend, Elizabeth, um, is very symptomatic. I, I thought I can get away with something a little bit more out there in her clothes. Um, but it was, yes, it was a bit of a tightrope to, to get to that place. And I, the only character I, I tried to do more and it didn't quite fly was, um, was um, oh gosh, I am forgetting her character name now, but Jen, Jen Holland. I, I kept, I made a series of cat suits that were more wow. I, I think I'd watched the early music video of that song a lot. And I felt, can't I interject a little bit of what was going on in that too? So I, she, she was in a, like a leather cat suit and I made another one that had like stripes up it. And it came down that I got the message like, no, we really want to keep her simple like she's been in the series. So that was the one thing where I tried to like have one character a bit more wow and um, pulled it back down. But I actually think it, it was perfect. I think it came together in a way I hadn't fully understood as we were putting it together. So fascinating. I mean, I'm so in awe of all of the incredible details that you've all brought to this series. Um, it, it's really remarkable and you've done such a great job at making everything that's so extraordinary about the show feel very grounded in the way that you've approached it. So thank you so much for taking time and talking all about it. Really, really appreciate it. Well, thank, thank you. you. <laughs> thank you. Thanks. It's a pleasure.